I feel like, you know, I need to like take a deep breath, collect myself. This was heavy in some interesting ways. Uh, Completely. Man. I I don't think I've ever had an episode where I have said, okay, I finished the episode. I need to go to the gas station. Give me 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, that was a first for us. You needed to like some collect yourself, collect yourself time, man. All right, you ready? Yeah, let's just let's 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 start. Good evening. Good night, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast about the FX hit show, American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host, Chris Husted. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Wow. Ooh, this was interesting. Holes, man. Holes. Holes. Uh, Not Shia LaBeouf. Oh, I loved that book. Louis Sacker. Louis, Louis Sacker when I was a kid. This was not that. Um, I like man, that I referenced some, the movie, you referenced the book. <laughs> <laughs> some awesome stuff to unpackage in this episode. Interesting developments, obviously. I have very mixed feelings. It sounds like you have very mixed feelings. Excited to talk about that. Before we do, a couple of quick things first. Um... We have been getting some awesome interaction on Facebook and uh, email and everything, so keep that up. Check us out at facebook.com slash thisamericanhorrorstory. Also, you can email us your comments and, and different things at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. And please, rate us, review us on iTunes. Uh, we really appreciate that one as well and are always happy to hear uh, people's feedback. Uh, there was a couple specific things I wanted to talk about that came through the old email and Facebook. Um... One of the things, uh, let's start with this because um, I think it plays into, you know, our discussions. It, it becomes a little bit more evident in this episode as it's unwrapped. But Holly on Facebook commented on our question about, you know, why would Ivy join Kai's cult that in theory is kind of opposed to her fundamental values? And I thought she offered some good insight that is, um, I would say, definitely also the way you kind of hear about these things in real instances in pop culture and, and that kind of thing. Uh, Holly said, With cults, the charismatic leader looks for anyone who is vulnerable, regardless of their beliefs. After they're indoctrinated, it becomes less about each individual or what each individual wants and more about the leader. That's why from the outside looking in, they all seem crazy to follow one person so blindly. They've allowed themselves to be brainwashed by someone that's exploiting their weaknesses. And so, you know, via Winter bringing her on... I guess the idea is that Ivy has kind of been pulled in by some aspects of Kai's philosophy, which we do kind of see and we'll talk about later. Although it seems like maybe she's not 100% on board. Um, although she does kind of commit, you know, the ritual at the end, she's pretty much showing her dedication at that point. She's pretty all in. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is that Bryce sent us an email that was very much comparing, you know, we were talking about you know, the montage that we had last episode of Kai and Winter kind of bringing in the different people into the cult. Mm -hmm. um, and he, he kind of, we had mentioned a couple different, like, you know, roundup movies where they go and get their crew and bring them in. Uh, but Bryce mentioned X-Men. 
And I thought that was a pretty good one because he was saying, you know, Kai is kind of like the mag was like the Magneto, who's kind of the bad side of it, and then Winter, at least initially, was supposed to be kind of the Professor X good side of it. Although clearly, Winter is not right. You know, doesn't seem Winter to... seems more to me um, as the um, why am I blanking on her name? The Jennifer Lawrence character in the newer ones? And the Rebecca Romain. Uh, Mystique, thank you. She's the Mystique, yeah. where she starts one place, then she ends in a different place. Yeah, I think that's that's probably more more accurate. Because uh, it certainly doesn't seem, from this episode, like Winter is exactly reluctant to be involved in these things. Right. Um, and finally, I did want to share, we got a really, we got we had a, uh, Kelly did some real deep diving for us here. So I just wanted to share some Cheers, of Kelly. she pulled out of this email. Because this was kind of impressive, I thought. Um, for those who are looking for, you know, the real deep uh, symbolism behind some stuff, I'm just going to go ahead and, and read some of this. Uh, Kelly said, So you guys mentioned a possible connection to Watchmen through the smiley faces in the show, which also seem to connect to Kai's iteration of Have a Nice Day to Allie. But it's more striking to me that Allie and Ivy's kid is named Ozymandias. This, of course, may just be a reference to Shelley and Smith's dueling sonnets, as their thesis that even the greatest ruler's legacies will eventually succumb to entropy seems pertinent to both the character of Kai and the subject of U.S. presidential leadership. However, it also may be a nod to Watchmen, in which Ozymandias is the smartest man in the world. Um, for those who have seen the movie, it's Ozymandias is the, the blue guy, um, who's kind of the iconic character from it. Uh, that's an aside. Iconic character right. from uh, right. the Watchmen graphic novel. Uh, a charismatic figure inspired by the same Ramses II of Shelley and Smith's sonnets who orchestrates a fake attack to scare the warring nuclear powers of the planet into cooperating with one another to fight a common, manufactured enemy. Though his stated goal is to avoid the destruction of the human race via nuclear warfare, he has no qualms with manipulating the population and killing multitudes of people to accomplish it. So it's kind of utilitarianism. Um, you know, the good of the most by sacrificing the few, basically. Um, and he displays an egoism, paternalism, and disdain for humanity that complicates the morality of his actions. There are some obvious parallels between Ozymandias and Kai's tactics and personalities, and the concern over the threat of impending nuclear war and the deep social polarization in Watchmen are also very timely in the geopolitical climate that sits at the center of this season, which is definitely true as well. Um, something we hear about in the news every week. Though I'm still slightly dubious that Kai is... Uh, Oz's father, both of these connections do point to Oz being potentially a meaningful piece on the season's chessboard. Perhaps his name indicates he'll play some pivotal role in Kai's downfall, a living symbol of the ephemeral nature of power. Or perhaps it points to him as an inheritor of the world Kai seeks to create, a new Ramsey II who will rise to power after Kai's reign ends. One more random thing. All this talk of this season's odd character names, we talked about these before, though, kind of nature names. Right. Right. Got me wondering about Kai's name. Though it means different things in different cultures, the surname Anderson points to his family being of either English or Scottish descent, and in Scotland the masculine name Kai means fire. So winter and fire. Kind of cool. But it gets better. Kai is also the name of the little boy captured by the titular... Or titular... I always have trouble with that word. Snow Queen. Parentheses. Winter. And Hans Christian Anderson's... Anderson again. Fairy tale. The Snow Queen controls the snow bees, and Kai only agrees to follow her after being bewitched by a mirror created by the devil to distort how people see the world. It won't reflect the positive and magnifies the negative. When the mirror breaks, its, shard, its shards spread across the planet, getting into people's eyes and freezing their hearts into blocks of ice, making it so they can only see the worst in each other. So, all this to say, I think, that perhaps this season has some... You know, we've complained about the writing. We, you know, we've teased out symbolism plenty of times in the past, but a lot of times it's, you know... Um, homage to an already established horror entity here or there. Right. But, you know, 
it seems at least that this season has a lot more going on, I would say, in terms of its, I don't know, its roots and allegory. And, I mean, it would make sense because it seems like with a season as kind of relevant as this one is for this time that, you know, Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk, I guess, are really trying to make a true point. I think Kelly needs to write for uh, American Horror Story, is what it sounds like to me, because she did some serious research, which pre- which is pretty impressive. So kudos, Kelly. Thanks for sending that in. Yeah, that was pretty badass, Kelly. We appreciate it. I I love it when anybody you know really goes all out and, and nerds out on some of this stuff because yeah. I enjoy. It. In fact, in fact, I'm going to do that a little bit later with my analysis of this episode. But we'll wait till excellent. Till the end. Uh, <clears throat> now, without further ado, I want to dive into holes, but before we do, let's get into, I guess, uh, our more, if we can relax at all here, our more relaxed episode discussing uh, a mood with drinks. So what are you drinking this evening? Uh, I was drinking wine while I was watching uh, the episode and before the episode, uh, but after that, I went and poured myself a uh, Four Roses bourbon. Straight. On ice or, cl- or neat? Neat. Yours is neat. I I had beer during the show, but I moved to whiskey on ice as well because, like you, I kind of felt like I needed it after I this. needed it after that. Cheers. <sighs> Cheers to that, friends. Okay, so let's talk holes. Let's talk the opening of holes, I guess. Now, uh, Beverly has become, like we had discussed last time, kind of the propaganda minister so to speak right you know we see her her fake news videos popping up everywhere um we get some more dormant mulroney in this beginning uh poor dermot well i don't know if poor excuse me he seems to be a pretty effed up individual himself as we soon realize right but beverly really seems to be going all out with the quote-unquote fake news um, sensationalism, editorializing. I don't even know if we... I think this is beyond editorializing. When yeah, we get to kind she's of committed to this cause, hands down, and uh, Bob tries to call her out on it, and even though Bob is a messed up dude, he at least understands some journalistic principles <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. and ethics <laughs> about like what you can and cannot report and what's, what's your responsibility as a journalist to tell the public. And... <laughs> She's not buying it. She's like, no, we need to tell this stuff. And he's like, nah, you're editorializing. You're doing fake news, which is a big mm-hmm. faux pas in journalism, uh, if not t- completely under investigation from the previous election on mm-hmm. what got um, Trump elected, how Russia was involved, how Facebook was involved, and so on. So, yeah, it's a big deal, and she's, uh, but she's all in. Oh, yeah, she's for sure all in. In fact, she blackmails him to basically keep him from firing her there on the spot. I do want to say, and we'll go into the actual scene in which uh, Dermot slash Bob is killed. You know, I think that this also plays into the theme of hypocrites in this season. You know, Bob stands up on his moral high horse and tries to lecture Beverly about the, you know, ethics of journalism and everything. And, you know, from a journalistic perspective, perspective we can appreciate that but at the same time he's going home and he's got a a gimp which i had to google what that was i didn't know what that was did you know what that was oh i've seen pulp fiction my friend i knew what that was oh i know i yeah but okay okay yeah yeah and then when i when i googled i was like as referenced in pulp fiction i was like oh yeah 
oh, the guy yeah. in the chest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had to rewind a few times. I was like, he said he has a camp upstairs. He has a camp. What's a camp? I was like, oh, he said gimp. Oh. Yes. Anyway. But that's after. But yeah, we'll, <laughs> in this cold open, we also, we kind of have like the team shot, you know? We have the, we get to see uh, Colton Haynes' detective and Harrison and Gary, Beverly, um, Winter, and then Ivy comes in too, which is, I guess, supposed to be kind of the twist like, oh, she's still on board here. Um, which. I don't know. We, I don't know if this was a surprise. I don't know that this was a surprise to anybody. I think we. This was kind of the big reveal we had talked about last episode. It was. It was. It was. You know, it, all was revealed super quickly, and, and it was quite the hey, the gang's all here. Uh, and when Ivy walked in, uh, I was kind of like, oh, like you know, as anticipated as we had speculated progressively throughout the first four episodes. You know, I wasn't surprised, but it was nice to see that confirmation. It's like, okay, yep, she's in. Now I have a ton of questions about like how, how you, why you're here, and, and and why you would do what you're doing to your family. But uh, yeah, it was quite the uh, quick, uh, cold open to be like, all right, so here's all the questions you have had about who's a clown and who's not a clown. Boom, here's your answer. Everybody, right? Uh, two th- other things I wanted to point out about this scene too. Uh, first, RJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we see this guy. Did he? Where did he come from? Is he from a past episode? Yeah, I had to look him up because I couldn't remember. He looked sort of familiar. He was the cameraman for um, shoot uh, uh, for Beverly for um, Beverly. Okay, so he's not. So he wasn't because the Serena had the Serena had the guy who died. Red redheaded guy who got stabbed. Yeah. Okay, so I I didn't remember where he came from. So when I saw this guy, I was like, oh. (laughs) Because I didn't know who he was, I was like, oh, he must be the guy who gets killed this episode. That was, yeah. I mean, I that was me not knowing that he had been in the past episode. Just thinking like, oh, we needed a guy who wasn't one of these main characters to get killed in this episode. Also, the other thing I wanted to ask is, how did you feel about this scene when they were all like in the basement together, kind of a look behind the curtain, seeing them plotting. (laughs) Uh, you know, it, it was exciting because it, it was a lot of our speculation uh, getting confirmed. So I, I appreciated it. Um, it was a lot of them kind of pontificating about why they're doing what they're doing and what they need to do. Like, you know, I, you know, the perception of credibility leads to the perception of power. And that's what we need to do when they're talking with Beverly and Beverly saying like, hey, um, you know, my boss is buying or is not buying my uh, journalistic integrity anymore. He thinks I'm, uh, uh, I, I might be compromised, so I need to back off. So you need to back off of me. Um, you know, it's it, it was it was the steps that needed to be taken to escalate their cult to the next level, which is obviously a uh, the video of a murder on screen to scare people enough so i I understood the the concept of why this scene was necessary one it revealed everything we wanted to know two it showed us the next step they were going to take because the serena murder wouldn't make it to uh to to air because of um bob's situation so it was cool it was fine it was exciting it was nice that we got uh uh for like being in the dark for two or three to four episodes 
it was nice to just get a uh, oh not just a little bit of reveal like oh by the way uh, the uh, detective is actually part of the clown gang. It's like no, here's everybody that's uh, involved in it. So that, I appreciated that. You know, I don't like being strung along in the dark for too long. So what do you think? For me, and this is something I'm still wrestling with, and I, I will come to some opinion on by the end of our discussion here. Mm-hmm. It was on the one hand, while I think it was definitely. Worth. I mean, it was an interesting thing to like see them, you know, plotting out exactly what their Next overall step. goals and message were and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. On the other hand, I don't know. It lost. I felt like I lost a little bit of the element of the creepy here, seeing them just kind of all lounging around on couches in Kai's basement, um, which looks like the basement from that '70s show, you know, where they're all just <laughs> smoking a bowl and passing around the table. That's so unthreatening. Yeah, and it like you know they're kind of like. This talking about things, you know, Sky's like, oh, you know, I saw Paradise Lost on HBO. We that should introduce funny. a satanic element and stuff like that. And it was like... But also cheap. I felt like a little bit to me, it, at least initially, took away some of the creepiness and kind of... For me, the cult aspect was what made it kind of creepy. Uh, you know, you think of scenes or movies where kind of these like masked people really freak you out a lot of that is from not knowing what that much the about fear of the their unknown background yeah absolutely and so having the curtain peel back a little bit for me at least my initial response was i didn't really like it because it felt like it took away some of that scariness to me i see what you're saying i think for me it was more of a shift to like here we officially have a group of murderers in a cult who we know a bit about and now we know they're quite the um, eclectic mix of people um, and seeing them as an unstable group of unstable people uh, with quite the power dynamic up in the air Um, Mm -hmm. which I agree it wasn't creepy but it kind of changed it shifted my perspective on what this group is Instead of being this, you know, masked cult, it became a dysfunctional group of people who are um, kind of off their hinges and unpredictable. And they were. I think what I want to see, and maybe this was something we'll see as they go on, was people more fanatic, people besides Kai and Beverly more fanatically tight like dedicated to the to the cause because i think that's that's creepier when kind yeah. of people seems so i have, taken I have by questions the on that later for sure yeah and i was you know i didn't particularly feel like i mean and that's partly what this episode was about um is, is coming around to you know, who's people. committed who's wavering and who's just there because they think they want to be there and then really they figure out that they don't need that this isn't their jam for real yeah exactly Exactly. Uh, so the next thing uh, I wanted to talk about was um, talking about Ally Ivy a little bit. Yeah, totally. After this episode, and kind of, so now that we know for sure, Ivy is in on the cult. Some questions about Allie. Is Allie being, I mean, do we feel like we, we know now that Allie is being drugged somehow, or is she just having her delusions teased out? like pre-existing delusions teased out because we see this thing where she has you know the fear of holes in her neck which is another reference to the holes trip um, to 
phobia or whatever it's called. Right, exactly. Um, and we see here back at Dr. Rudy Vincent's talking about this at the beginning. Um, y- you know, we know that Ivy had encouraged her to take her medication in the past. Was that an actual compassionate plea or was Ivy doing something with the medication? We talked about, you know, the bath um, stuff. What this also made me think of is, you know, if Ivy was in on the cult back when Kai in episode one dumps the slushy on them, was this was there something in the slushy too that was maybe? Like, <laughs> I didn't thought about that. I you know I don't know. I because why else? Because you know what was Ivy, the point of that? The Ivy and Kai knew each other, so that was obviously some plan to that. Yeah, I have a lot. I, I think one of our biggest questions is still up in the air that I'm unsure of, which is why target Allie so hardcore, right? Like why is she so important? You know, I I'm I mean I still don't really buy why Ivy is into the cold I, I i we get an idea of why but i'm just i have a lot of questions about ivy uh but why focus on ally so much and why you know um gaslighter and why why is she messing with her son too and like hey the, the, i have a lot of questions still with uh ally and ivy and ozzy and i think that's um you know yes we got the reveal that uh, uh, Ivy's involved, but that just brings up more questions about why the fuck are you doing this, right? <laughs> to your and the family. thing about I right, and the thing about Allie for me is still even knowing all this terrible stuff is happening to her, she's a difficult person for me to root for. Yeah, <laughs> like I know you exactly. Know, we're supposed to like now that it's revealed, it's like okay, well Allie's the girl that we're supposed to be pulling for, and I'm still annoyed with her. <laughs> Well, yeah, you see the flashback scene where they're clearly having, like, significant financial problems, Mm -hmm. and she is just so tone deaf. She goes and buys Ivy the expensive bracelet, like, when, you know, they're struggling to keep their... Was that that what that was? I thought it was a bracelet. I didn't... I mean, it's you don't really get a close view of what... What did you think it was? (laughs) Uh, I mean, it it looked like it was in a Tiffany box, right? Yeah. But then it had a black bow on it, and then it looked like it could be a toy of some sort i don't know because she tries to like approach her sexually and and she kind of pushes her away she's like i'm busy we're losing money and then she's like i just want to be like other couples are like oh maybe that was in advance um that's possible too maybe i yeah i wanted to ask sarah but i didn't want to be like hey what's this thing (laughs) yeah i i'm listeners please tell us what that gift was because we're two dummies but regardless of what the gift was, I guess like it looked clearly it was something expensive, right? And she was I trying was to, yeah, nurture her relationship. And then, well, and then the Jill Stein thing and the hypocrisy stuff and all that. I mean, I don't know that we're. I think that's maybe maybe that's supposed to be the the conflict that they're trying to evoke in us is that like Ivy's supposed to be the hero, but you don't really like her, you know? Right? Yeah. I mean, she's sorry. So I mean, pissed. I I, I, I missed that. I mean, Allie's supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and Ivy is so pissed off that she voted for Jill Stein that she's ready to burn it to the ground. Yeah, well, let's talk about that for a second. We get the insight into Ivy's philosophy when she's in the car with Winter. And she says that, I mean, basically her justification is because the whole country voted for Trump, that she hates the entire country for what they've become. And she hates Allie for letting it happen I, so I guess really it comes down to Allie's vote for Jill Stein that is it was I mean the, that pushed her over you know, the edge straw that broke the camel's back yeah 
I mean, exactly. Yeah. I mean, she's like you said, she's more, she's mostly pissed that um, we don't have the first woman president. She's clearly a feminist, as is uh, Winter and uh, her wife not doing in Ivy's eyes her duty to put that woman in that position that or she she so despises Hillary Clinton that she would vote for Jill Stein just sends her over the edge to be like, all right, this is not the world I want for Ozzy. Right. I mean, she became a nihilist really quickly, is what I will say. For yeah. someone who was out there really, like, so passionate about things, protesting on the streets and all that kind of stuff. I wrote this and, I mean, down. I guess that's... Oh, go She's, ahead. She says, I hate this country. I hate my wife for letting it happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I guess she's supposed to demonstrate the kind of person that, you know... Was, These people get, you know, was in such shock by the election results you, that it yeah. like completely fundamentally altered their worldview. And you see those people get incredibly obsessed with the elections because they get impassioned, they get swept up by candidates uh, and wanting to win, that it clouds their uh, kind of day-to-day relationships in life because if you don't believe what they believe then you know f you because there's no way that we'll ever be able to talk because you wouldn't do this because you don't believe as strongly as i do and i think that's ivy's issue right but i Um, yeah i don't know i two things real quick one is after all this whole sequence i wrote down i have no one to root for i know i'm supposed to be rooting for Allie right now but i just i'm not feeling that Uh, yet that can change that can change we may have been thrown you know this might be one of those things where they want us to hate her begin in the beginning then oh my gosh i love her so much fine um the 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 second thing is that i don't i just it's it's hard for me to believe this whole group of clowns cult people who are seemingly educated people who make reasonable choices in their lives are so distraught and torn up that they would join this cult. That's hard for me to believe. I know I'm supposed to suspend that for TV shows, but it's hard for me to see someone like Ivy, you know, and yes, she's wrestling with it, but get down with, you know, turning on her wife, (laughs) who she loved way before this election ever happened. Right. Well, I think on the one hand, if we're thinking of this as, you know, political social satire yeah which a part of it yeah, is supposed to yes, be yes true we're talking about you know people having these Extreme. base angers and frustrations and things like that that are kind of buried within them these um more like feral instinctual feelings that right. this past election brought out more than they have in the past and i guess that that's kind of the you know these people are like the hyperbole of that right um, but I get what you mean. At the same time, it has to be believable that these characters are willing to make that jump from being normal people to being killers. And I think that we're kind of supposed to have seen that trajectory with some of them. Like with Harrison last episode, you know, he was shocked initially when Kai killed, uh, whatever the musclehead guy was, uh, named and then, you know, he's still distraught when he's sawing the guy's head off in the bathtub. But this time he has no problem. Yeah, you know, he jumped. Shoving a nail, putting a nail in RJ's head or whatever. Um, Beverly seems to have just been a stone cold killer from the beginning. She's yeah. a little bit of a. I mean, 
I don't know. There's a potential she's more of a sociopath than Kai is. Uh, that's yeah. something else to debate later on, potentially. Yeah, I have a question for you later on that. And uh, I don't know. W- you know, w- for me, Winter's the... I- Ivy... Ivy's obviously one that it's still... We still have a lot of questions about the leaveability. Winter, I just feel like we need to learn still more about her motivations and what their arrangement was. Because there seems like there's still some missing elements we're not quite following. Right. Now let's talk about the let's talk about Bob's house. This was the of the two really fucked up scenes in this episode. This was number one. Um, let me say that him having a gimp in his attic, I did not see coming. <laughs> no, I. It almost feels like forced. I don't know. Like he's 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 a, he's he is who he is. But I wasn't gonna like add another shade of of weirdness to no offense to people who are into that uh into his uh his whole personality but sure enough here we go it's american horror story so you don't get one little thing you get three or four things so not only is he banging serena uh and he's a dickhead he's also has a gimp up in his attic right well and so as someone who is not particularly burst in um you know dominatrix type activities (laughs) i mean i don't know what one specifically does with the gimp um i think it's sex related obviously you know but i think my biggest question following this was asking myself well why would they give bob a gimp and that's what kind of led me to the whole you know him being a hypocrite like everybody else kind of thing but at the same time, you know, even it almost seems like one of those situations where American Horror Story is hitting you over the head with it a little bit too hard because you already had him, you know, sleeping with Serena and like jeopardizing his own journalistic ethics, kind of. So it already made him a hypocrite to then be criticizing Beverly's, you know, preponderance for fake news this episode. So to right. make it go even a step further and have him be like a sexual deviant who has who's keeping a person on fish hooks hanging in his ceiling. Um, which was, oh man, that was just gross. It was gross. It also reminded me of, um, Cell. Was it The Cell? Or Cell? With Jennifer Lopez and Vince Vaughn. Based I've never the... actually seen it, but I know exactly the movie, yeah. the cover of the movie. Yeah, there's some about. stuff like that happening there. And it just, or like the Saw movies where people have like hooks in them and stuff. It's like, ah, I, I, I'm not down with torture porn. Like that's like kind of, I love horror but that's where I get like squeamish. I'm like, there is some, yeah, there is a couple torture porn elements in this for sure. Yeah. And I, we got a little bit of it last time with the ending where Gary cuts his arm off. Right. Um, but this was, this was a lot more visceral and like you, you really saw it. Yeah. Too. That's, that's kind of where I'm like, ah, I mean, I'll still watch it, but uh, I, that's when I'm like, all right, I need to break after this episode. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yes. Also, um, I, the, I, I like the idea of, um, them using this as you know suburban homes you don't know what's happening behind closed doors everyone's got their secrets and their private lives that's that's true also and i think that's a good insight also uh three quick questions here yep kai killing the gimp while everyone else wanted to let him go was this supposed to be a demonstration of just you know another demonstration of how committed people were to the cult because that you know i'm assuming I don't know. I'm just wondering, you know, what 
what that what that would have done for promoting the cult further by killing the gimp. I thought for Kai it was um, a power move to be like, hey, this is how we roll in this click. Um, you got to be down with it. And uh, everyone's too in awe with his power, but also intimidated by his power that they went along with it for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think uh, it was it was kind of as we le- later on with RJ um, when Ivy and Meadow, no, not Meadow, Winter are uh, saying, are you sure you want to do this? Uh, Meadow says he was complicit. Meaning, like, if they're around for that, they're part of it. And now they are bonded in this murder together, even though half of them have already done murders together. This was Ivy's first one, so this is just kind of almost an initiation to be like, we're all part of this now, and you can't, like, you will go down for this too. Right. So speaking of Ivy vomiting, then, is that just her initial reaction from the first time, kind of like Harrison freaking out after, you know, his first murder? Or do you think this is a sign that perhaps she is not going to be as all in with the cult as everybody else's as this you know season goes forward yeah i think i mean the the inclination is that she's not down for this or she bit off more than she could chew she was uh you know romanced into it by meadow no god i keep saying that winter winter, god, winter. all these similar names by winter in uh, winter solder on it, uh, and even winter's a little iffy, I think, on some of the stuff that Kai does. But um, she she bought into it, and she's really realizing what she bought into, and it's not what she was thinking was going to be the deal. She wants to change the world, but she's didn't think it'd be this incremental murders step by step to make that happen. And at least that was my take. So I don't I don't know if she's long for this world because I don't think mm-hmm. she's down with this. What did you think? Question for you. No, I, I, I think that's a fair point. I, I'm curious. I mean, obviously she goes through with the ritual at the end when she puts the nail on RJ's head, but she didn't seem particularly happy about it. I think it I was and more I do fear, think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I wonder if we're going to be in some kind of scenario where, you know, she somehow comes back to helping Allie in some way, but ends up dying in the process. Like, or she has to yeah. kill Allie or Ozzy or something like that. And won't do it yeah. and kills herself or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Some kind of self-sacrifice type yeah, thing. Yeah, I can see I that. I can see coming down. Mm-hmm. Uh, are Winter and Ivy just friends or are they a couple? I feel like it's still not clear. Winter puts the, her hand on Ivy's wrist. You hear her say that, you know, Oz is asking if Winter's going to be the third mother. Yeah. I, I think she, I think that as the, at this point they're friends. Um, I think Winter has... Um, kind of flirted with her enough to keep her on board with that um i don't i don't think they've like had sex no yeah Mm -hmm. i think that that's a good read um and finally beverly just plunging that axe into bob's head let's talk about beverly for dude homegirl is stepping it up uh you know we see her kind of being in i mean we see her step up there and then we kind of see it back in you know in the scene with the coffins from before where they're sitting at the coffins. Right, that was a nice call back. Getting everything, getting everything precise. And, you know, she's the one who, you know, seems to be fully on board when other people are questioning a little bit. She's, she's, yeah, she's, she scares the shit out of me now. (laughs) Uh, Well, okay. 
before we get into kind of the the final revelations. Also, should, before we go, that, Dermot Mulroney is super short. I noticed when he's running around in his little like tidy whities and his uh, tank top, which is a weird outfit to be running around in. You he's short taller? compared to everyone else, but also Billy Eichner's there, and Billy Eichner's like my height. So yeah, you know who else is? You know who's tall? Who's tall? Dylan McDermott. <laughs> <laughs> but wasn't he in this episode? <laughs> no, they're probably the same height. He was maybe it was Dylan McDermott wearing a Dermot Mulroney mask. Oh my god! I oh just blew your mind right there. <laughs> uh, so Allie looking through the telescope across the street at yeah Billy Eichner. Um, this is one of those moments in a horror movie where you're like, oh come on, dummy! You never leave the lights on when you look out the fucking window. Jesus. Yep. Uh. Wasn't this made me reminded me? Didn't we see Harrison get arrested um, the last time we were in the present day because he was yes supposedly had murdered Meadow yes because he shows up covered in blood and he yells at Allie and says she did it she did it so I think this is before that but also it's weird because why would that have happened before and. She, yeah, it's weird. I the, the whole d- time jumping around. I was gonna ask you about this. How'd you feel about it? And also, if that happened, if so, this is technically happening before Harrison got arrested. That means she wouldn't trust him at all. And also, Ivy was over there with him. I think that or this I, said to have happened Allie. after he got arrested. So he must have gotten off somehow. Maybe it's because Maybe his buddy then, yeah. is the detective in the police force. Um, which obviously not just buddy now we know they're lovers but this had to have happened after because you know she obviously sees meadow in in the hole um but also meadow pretty much enlightens her as to the fact that ivy is potentially in on the cult which is something i thought would take longer to be revealed right yeah kind of i love that we get all these reveals real quick because that really changes the game up but yeah i agree i yeah i'm not sure so also also that she was just kind of alive hanging out in the hole i mean maybe she had some kind of sedative that was wearing off or something like that but or or it's part of the gaslighting maybe they knew she was coming over and meadow isn't actually dead she's part of it still and they wanted Allie to know they the wanted ally to figure this out and get more like in her head i don't know now I feel like you and I are like I'm grasping for strawsing this. Yeah, we're like, how deep does this conspiracy go? Yeah, and why does everyone care so much about Allie? She's not that cool. Let's be honest. She's not that cool. <laughs> she must. She's we're gonna cool. need to find some. We this this season better end with some pretty huge revelation about Allie, or otherwise I'm gonna be pretty dissatisfied at how yeah. we just is she Jesus annoying woman the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. So, kind of the final dis, um, big reveal, reveal, denouement, whatever you want to call this final end here. Uh, Kai, so we know that next episode is going to be the election because Kai talks about being up 10 points now that they kind of made the video. The clowns are public. People know who these clowns are and like they're coming a social media phenomenon. Um, we, we had the nail gunning, the killing of RJ. RJ wasn't long for this world. He was not long whatsoever. Um, honestly, I don't know that I felt like he was that big of a dissident to have gotten 
Nielsen has said that quickly. Did that you think like it a... when they talked about the weak link? Did you think it was going to be Meadow or did you think it was going to be RJ? Well, I I thought at that point it was going to be RJ because I I guess I was thinking that's a good point. I when I originally when he was originally having the conversation with Beverly, I think at that point we thought Meadow might have already been dead. It's, you're right. The timelines are a little bit confusing, jumping back and forth. I did think it was going to be RJ. See, I thought it was going to be Meadow. Uh, because cause I'm like, oh, we're going to wrap that up on why she got, why she died. But Right, yeah. Well, I guess because <laughs> they were making so many specific... Like, they had RJ clearly making very specific comments about, you know... And I think even Kai says something to Beverly about you and RJ go way back or something like that, you know? So and Beverly kind of throws leading. him under the bus. Well, I think that she's at the point where... It's far less about relationships with other people, and it's she's she's on board for the cause more so than anybody else. Um, man, this scene with the nails though that was especially showing it so close up was was so gruesome. This was, I mean, between this and the gimp, like that was torture porn central for me. Which is, I mean, it brought the creepy. That's for sure. Um, a little much. I found myself shielding my eyes on the nails. I don't know if you. Were you doing knew that he too. was going to make Ivy take the first shot, though. Right. Yeah. Um, and that was her proof. But now Ivy's. I mean, she already was, but now for sure she's in too deep. Yeah, she's committed, like murder. Um, before we move on, the uh, I have you ever? I can't remember. I think it was Final Destination three or four. I can't remember which one it was. I think it was three. Uh, but there is a, you know, the Final Destination movie premise? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, in one of them, I think it's the roller coaster ride. I think it's the third one. Um, one of the people ends up dying by nail gun to the head. And it is probably one of the top three, maybe two deaths that final destination has ever done in my in my opinion by by that do you just mean in terms of unexpected creativity and unexpected yes yeah it's awesome (laughs) but but, but this one's much more saw well yeah but there is some uh poetic angle back angle here as well when you think about the fact that they're poking small holes into his brain too mm. kind of like, yeah. I mean fits with the you know all the right. different brain talk we have in this season plus kind of the whole theme of this episode uh, the final scene where we have Beverly that kind of kicks off the final scene Beverly and Kai doing the pinky thing yep oh um, Kai's story of his parents what did you think of this we get the background the kind of t- heartfelt Tear story from however many years ago with right. the motorcycle accident, all this kind of stuff. Um, interesting things like we keep collecting things about Kai's background. He has a degree in religious studies, so I, we also know that according to Beverly, he lied to people in the past. So he's not a veteran, like he. I Beverly he, sees he said through to him. him. Yeah, he he's not a veteran, like he said to um, Harrison and stuff like that. It sounds like this is the the real truest version, right? Um, you know, get, he's got a dad who becomes abusive starts kind of hanging out on reddit threads um that are starting to get him kind of toward this more i had to google what that reddit thread was too nihilistic yeah do you want to well do you want to inform everybody now that you've looked it up 
Yeah, I mean, it, so, you know, if people are familiar with the red, blue, bill, pill, blue pill um, from, from the Matrix, the blue pill is what you take if you want to just wake up and be back in your regular life. The red pill is what you take when you want to go deeper. And as we know, Neo takes the red pill because he wants to go deeper and see what the real situation in the world is. And that's kind of the premise of that community of the Red Pill Reddit. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the best, most simple way to put it. For sure, yeah. And I do think that the Red Pill Reddit has, from articles I've read and things, associations with the alt-right in mm-hmm. modern politics. Right. Um, but, so talking... Yeah, so talking c- yeah. I was like, Kai's background, we learned all that stuff and that he's into that. And then we find out that... Uh, yeah, his dad just becomes a major dick after he gets in his accidents and his wheelchair... Totally is a just a, just an asshole to to Kai, and it seems like Kai's the only kid who lives at the house. Um, then he walks, hears some shots one night, sees his uh, dad shot in the stomach or uh, once or twice, and then sees his mom commit suicide. Uh, and immediately, what does he do? He calls not the police, his brother, and who is his brother? Doc Rudy, Doc Rudy Vincent, who must be uh, Rudy Vincent Anderson. Maybe he uh, just cut off that last bit of his name for this. Right. And, and he says, let's keep them here <laughs> as long as we can, because they're clearly in a financial situation and they need um, the money coming from the disability. And uh, I figure what else the mom has coming, but they need that money. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it was I can't remember what pension. It was. Pension, or I think. yeah, it was pension. Um, so they need that money, so they're gonna keep them there, pretend like their parents are still alive, and collect that money. And then we find out something that we have speculated from the first episode, which is what do we tell Winter, who clearly is their younger sister who's at college. Right. So we get all. So we know the whole goddamn family now is Rudy. And Kai and Winter. I, I forgot in the moment of all this that we didn't really know for sure that Winter was yeah. Kai's brother. We or assumed. Kai's sister. Yeah. Right, because we had assumed it, but we didn't know for sure. Uh, let's they talk to Rudy Vincent twist, because obviously yes, this sure. was the big one. Yep. Um, now, I don't know. I certainly wouldn't say that I saw this coming. I think we both thought that Dr. Rudy Vincent, there was hints that he was involved yeah, but I I think the brother twist was a huge one. The familiar relation aspect. The brother twist was huge. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. big. So that, that was the biggest surprise. That was a big shock, which I really liked actually, because it was something. I mean, we had our predictions, and especially when you're immersed in a show like this that has so many fan theories everywhere, it's pretty rare that you get something that like really does kind of take you by surprise like that. Right. And I would say, yeah. There's a couple of moments in that this episode, but this obviously, that in particular. Now, it's interesting because at the same time, there are some interesting theories about Dr. Rudy being involved. We had posed some theories about him being involved in the cult. You know, we obviously had him kind of playing with the smiley face buttons before. I think someone posted on Facebook or sent us an email that, you know, thinking about Kai's Adderall prescription, perhaps oh, Dr. Yeah. Rudy was his doctor, wondering how people, you know. Good point. You know, Dr. Rudy would give, you know, therapy to somebody and then they would come home and get nailed into a coffin that had exactly what to do with their fears. You know, he's the one kind of rooting out. That makes sense. No pun intended. Rooting out their fears. Um, 
I guess what I'm curious is, and we don't know this for sure, completely theorizing, how deep is Rudy involved in the cult? I think that, I mean, Kai is still trying to paint himself as a charismatic leader, but, you know, is there a case to be made here that Dr. Rudy is the real, you know, puppet master behind all of this and Kai is one of his pawns? Um, he is obviously kind of the one who has everything under control and seems like the original, not, I mean, not sociopath and not a killer per se, but like really doesn't have any empathy for his parents being dead or anything like that. And just seems to kind of be the one who in a way inoculates Kai originally. I I see this family with the Brady Bunch complex where Dr. Rudy Vincent is clearly Marsha. Because he's really concerned about his reputation as a psychiatrist or psychologist. That's he. Yes, he's concerned about the money, but he needs his reputation because he says, "What's going to happen if people know that my parents killed themselves?" So, and also, I mean, Kai clearly has the Jan complex, where the middle kid has something to prove, has the whole psycho um, uh, Hitchcock. Oh God, what's his name? Psycho. The, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know uh, what you're talking Norman about. Bates. Norman Bates Norman complex, Bates. Um, where he's like, "I'll be, you know, I'll prove that I'm a good, like, impressive and good, like, always trying to like prove himself." Uh, and uh, and the sweet little uh, Cindy is our winter, <laughs> who's following along with Jan momentarily, but clearly has her own. Um, you know, obligations in her own perspective and her own mind of what she wants to be doing, but falling in line right now because she's the youngest, right? It's the Brady Bunch. That's what, that, like that's, that's kind of what that's I'm a thinking. great that's a great way to put it. Um, do, what, <laughs> the Brady Bunch, yeah. <laughs> but that's why I think like like Marsha, she's not involved in Jan's little fun little like um, basement click. She's doing her own thing. That's Rudy Vincent's doing his own thing. I don't think he's actually involved in it. I think his he has clearly influenced uh, and informed Kai or Jan as uh, uh, for what for what he's doing. But I don't think he's actually involved. Um, do, you, right. It'd be it'd be cool if he comes in and he turns out to be like 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 the the head chief or something like that. But I don't. I mean, he just seems like he's. I think you have a good point because I think at this point it seems like Kai is the one who has you know real this complex. His philosophies, yeah, his philosophies are clearly grounded in specific things that have to do with his specific experience. Yes. Whereas you're right, Doctor Rudy Vincent, you know, we'd have to know more about why he's the he pretty one. Him. He's yeah, successful he, he does. Already. You're right. He seems too vain. It doesn't quite fit. And so you're right. I think maybe he's like you know he knows what's going on. He isn't. He's kind of ambivalent about it. Maybe he you know feeds them fears and but he's certainly not going to stop anything. He doesn't right. care enough about that. He's just very you know involved in what his own stuff is. Um, but obviously it adds another you know turn to everything that he's still consulting Allie and of course Allie doesn't know that they're siblings still. So right there's that too. And I feel like you'd have to go. <laughs> This is one of those seasons where it's going to be interesting to go back and look at things and see like exactly the things that Dr. Vincent said to her all leading up to here and really tracking, you know, how that could have influenced what they end up doing to her later on. Yep. Uh, one thing I also did want to make a note of, because, you know, we know that the parents are still in the house. They're still in the bedroom upstairs. Yeah. Just de- <laughs> decaying. <laughs> 
Um, now, this is something we had noticed and different people had mentioned on social media and things way back in episode one was that this door upstairs had a rose on it and was just happened to be closed. And I think mm. somebody might have even noticed it had a padlock on it. And we were kind of wondering what was in here. Now we know the parents are just they're decaying in bed and Kai goes and visits them sometime. Uh, that was a good psycho. The psycho reference was a good one. Uh, the other one I thought about was it's uh, a f- short story by William Faulkner um, from 1930 called Rose for Emily. It was like his oh, first yeah. published story. Uh, the the story is about a, a woman who's kind of the town recluse um, who had a really overprotective father, basically. Uh, but after her father dies later in life, she falls in love with this kind of itinerant worker who's passing through town. Um, and she's, you know, she's a bachelorette. She's not unmarried. Uh, she she wants to marry this guy, but the bachelor is not into the marrying life. So, you know, he disappears and she just kind of becomes more curmudgeonly and, you know, uh, stays in her house all the time and everyone kind of figures that her heart was broken and, and you know, she kind of eventually withers away and dies. Um, but when she finally dies and she's an old woman, this is years and years later, they go to her house and find out that this, uh, you know, traveling worker or whatever that she was in love with, they find his preserved, decayed, dead body in her bed um, wow. with an imprint of her head and the pillow next to it. And so, you know, she had killed him, basically, is the insinuation. And because he wouldn't marry her and has kept him there to, like, be her dead lover. Obviously, Kai is not, you know, wasn't in love with his parents or anything. And he wasn't the one who actually killed either of them. But with that rose on the door, you still kind of get that symbolism also. Um, You know, that kind of event in the past that turns somebody into you know what they ultimately were although well and you kind of get the reveal as to kai's background here too and then the episode ends with kai breaking down crying in front of beverly and her kind of standing up and putting an arm on him uh so this part of the revelation kai's background and all this what did this do for you i mean did it change your perspective don't you dare ask me that i was gonna ask you that i was like did kai's (laughs) backstory work for you do you want me to go first Yes. I always go first. To me, this felt a little bit like, and parts of this episode felt a little bit to me like a twisties mask coming off backstory episode where you get the sentimental story behind the villain. And I... I know you're going to say part of that ruins it for you. It does. I wanted him to be a fucking cold-blooded villain. I didn't want this kind of a sentimentality where you're like, oh, now he's the damaged kid who had this happen to him in the background. I mean, that's kind of what it made Dandy a great character, too, is that, like, he didn't, you know, he was just the victim of, like, an overprotective mother and inbreeding, you know? Like, he right. he didn't have something, like, traumatic that gave him some kind of sentimental position that now you feel conflicted about how evil they are. Um, I don't know. What? How did you feel about it? It didn't work for me. It didn't work for me. Only because it's so cliche. Uh, like, I, I don't know. I just like the whole, I want to impress my dead parents or my parents who I could never impress. Um, and I'm going to do that by becoming a cult leader <laughs> and changing the world. <laughs> 
or in reality winning us a, a seat on on the city council um it, it's a little like i don't know and then we, which that could be part of it fine but when he breaks down and cries to beverly and beverly her face is just like that's a power shift in my in my eyes like like beverly sure. definitely has the power now um, yeah was just kind of like a little too meh for me i understand and this is kind of a thing that american horror story fault it's a fault of theirs i think is we always have to get everyone's backstory and it kind of ruins not it doesn't like i think they're worried that it's gonna make you know they want to have this three-dimensional villain or or mm-hmm. care they want to humanize yeah, them. yeah. and there, there's a way to do that without making them you know there's nuance to making a villain absolutely but the but by making this person like break down it's just makes me not care about them even to root for them as a villain do you watch do you watch the um did you watch i'm i, I this is fresh on my mind because i just watched it the defenders on netflix marvels the defenders i i've watched luke cage i haven't watched the defenders. okay okay luke cage is a good example um copper copper cottonmouth uh that's mm-hmm. a good villain did you watch jessica jones at all i ha- i haven't i do oh my gosh list, jessica though. jones Kilgrave is a terrible villain but there's nuance to it like they do it really well and that's where i think american horror story kind of falters is when they can't add a little bit of nuance but still you don't you're not going to root for that person like you don't want you you're rooting for your your hero this kai is supposed to i'm assuming to be kind of our villain in this and this just kind of breaks that and makes it like you said uh like twisty where it's like well man this doesn't really work for me anymore i don't think you're as scary and you're obviously but maybe that's only to build up beverly and if that's the case then i then i get it and that's awesome and that that is a great point and i think that that's it would be a pretty great twist, I think, if Beverly ends up being the one who becomes the charismatic leader. And she, unlike Kai, she doesn't have kind of a traumatic thing in her past that led her to this. She is just fucking crazy. Until we get her backstory in episode seven and then... And find out she was abused as a child or something yes, like exactly. that. Yes, exactly. I don't want a background for Beverly. I don't. I well, think this I don't was want one of my questions for, for you. Uh, which is okay. So we see all these people, and I kind of griped about this earlier, and and just this is like a a, a rapid fire question. Um, all these people who are now members, it doesn't always completely make sense to me why these people joined. We get brief moments, and the only really way to understand is if we do get background stories on these people. Do you want background stories on these people? And if you do want them, what should they be? I want more background on Winter because I feel like yeah. her. So this is, and I think this is kind of what you're saying is I think there's ways for the character to make sense to have certain motivations without going into their full backstory. I think that Beverly, and maybe this is Adina Porter doing an excellent job. I'm not sure exactly, but I feel like her character is believable as just somebody who has like this rage built inside of her, and you know, obviously she was faced with, you know racism and sexism at her news uh in her newsroom and stuff like that and i think that it it's kind of fitting that then she has kind of this underlying 
fire that's been burning because of these different things she's faced over time. And I don't feel like I need a backstory that explains where this comes from. I feel like her rage and all this is justified. Right. Whereas, and I mean, Harrison's backstory I think was entertaining because it was fun with Billy Eichner and stuff. I don't want any more on Meadow. Um, but... You know, I think Winters makes sense to keep learning more about her because I think it, that compelling dynamic of her being, you know, going to Vassar, being a Hillary Clinton fan and all this kind of stuff, and then joining the cult still needs some more explaining. Yeah. But like like you said, Beverly, I don't I don't want that backstory for her. The detective? I don't even At this point, he just... Out. At this point, I feel like the detective is just like a dumb follower. Uh, so He's I remember... He's so the blonde for Billy Eichner to the have bl- some other relationship with, right? Yeah, so the blonde-haired character in uh, Fight Club, if you'll remember, the guy who does yep. hair blonde, is Jared Leto's character. Yep. And it's the one who gets, I believe, like the shit completely beat out of him by Tyler Durden and yep. shows up the next day with a completely obliterated face and is basically like, you know... Thank you, sir. May I have another? Like, totally into the cult. So I kind of feel like that's what this detective is supposed to represent. It's just like a dumb guy who is all in on the cult, you know? Uh, So I don't want any background on him either. Rudy Vincent? I do feel like we need to get... We we need more... I don't know if background's what we need, but we need more insight into what his relationship is with Kai and with the rest of the cult. Uh, Because I am curious to see how they end up using him. I do think there is a potential way to make him kind of the puppet master that would be interesting, but from what we know about his character right now, it doesn't seem that fitting. He seems more like that Marsha character that you've outlined. Right. I love that So that's my analogy. Yeah, that's a great analogy. I'm all for it. Okay, I think we covered a lot of what my questions were. The last thing I had is, you know, we have the... So there's not that much to talk about in next week's preview, so I'm going to roll it into before we give our actual okay. final count on the review. Next week is the election episode. We see that Mayor Winningham is the candidate that Kai's running against. Also, where the hell's Frances Conroy? We were told we were going to get her this season. I would like her to come as Agreed. soon as possible. Um, but it'll be fun to get some Mayor Winningham in there. We um, were she promised seems to be kind Frances of a, Conroy. <laughs> that's, that. that's right. Um it seems like she's going to be not a pushover in this run for, you know, the city council or whatever. I guess I my question like for you is... I feel she's not for this world either. Well, do you think Kai's going to win the city council seat? And if so, I mean, at that point, what does he do? Because if this was, I th- you know, he, he aspires to be president and all this different stuff. Are we going to see some time jumps as he continues to build his political career? Or are we? is he going to do something dramatic on the city council that fundamentally changes just this one town in Michigan? And that's like, my, that's like what I've been thinking my biggest question is, all right, so they're like galvanizing the public on this fear to shake stuff up and whatever. But I have no idea what they're trying to build. What does this government or society look like? Not that I have to have the whole blueprint, as we know. And I don't think, uh, in a way, critics of Donald Trump would say he knew what he would want to to actually accomplish when he became president. But uh, at least hints of some of that would help me have an idea of this more long-term plan of what he wants to accomplish and what it's going to look like and what, what, you know, what the show's going to look like in a couple episodes if we're going to do some time jumps. Cause I don't know. I don't know. 
You know, he could be right. he, he could be totally a, a big failure uh, in you know eight years when the next election happens and public opinion is completely swayed the the opposite direction. You know, I, I don't know. Well, and I and and I guess that's why he has to continue stoking fear on bigger and bigger levels mm-hmm. to keep you know exploiting that fear. Plus, bigger, we also know that in the next couple episodes are gonna feature some famous cult leaders in some form and i don't even know what that's going to look like but we're going to look at the charles manson the um jim jones yeah exactly so i I have no idea how that's working its way into this so but if, if it goes any way that it did with and i know some people weren't into this but the way that roanoke handled like six episodes and then five episodes in a weird like shift or whatever that could be really yeah. awesome so i'm excited to see what they do you, you mean like a time jump like a time jump episodes? or or a um a, a shift in perspective in some form mm-hmm. you know i don't know i i love that. i think the I one love, but yeah i think the one thing that like i i have to say the storyline i in terms of the alley storyline i'm only interested in why her i feel like at this point like i don't yeah. care about her fighting back i don't really no. care that much about her confronting ivy or getting oz back or any of that stuff right. i'm either curious about why her or like why oz right um i think ivy's interesting i'm curious to see what ivy's dynamic will be in the cult moving forward yeah. but i'm much more interested in the like <sighs> this see this is the thing that has me conflicted because i'm frustrated that we got like this inside look at this cult that i wanted to be all creepy but now like the most inter- interesting thing to me is you know what the dynamics and hierarchy of this cult are going to be moving forward so at the same time i'm compelled by that right so all that I being agree. said all right how many ro- rose how many rosé bottles are you going to give this how episode? many gimps do i give it <laughs> oh, God. Gimps, um gimps pouring rosé i think you're i think you were more conflicted about this episode as i was or more than I was, I do really appreciate the reveals that we got a whole mess of them because for me that's like okay we're we're moving in a direction we're doing something and because Roanoke to me was super strong, I trust that this is going in an awesome place. So um, I am gonna give this a solid four gimps slash rose bottles. What I do have a lot of questions still, and this episode raised a lot, especially about Allie and Ivy, and mostly Ivy. And anyway, but okay, I'll leave that for later. What do you give this episode? Oh man, I'm somewhere between three and a half and three and three quarters. I think I'm gonna go with three and a half, Mm -hmm. making it a seven and a half. You know, the the Rudy Vincent reveal was was big, and I'm really pleased with that. Uh, there was, I mean, the torture porn stuff I'm on the fence about. It was certainly creepy. As we hell, were due it for really it at gross. some point. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was some great symbols and different things, but that behind the, ma- the, the guy behind the mask thing, it, it, you know, the same way it turned me off in freak show, it's turning me off here. And he's kind of, a I'm going to reserve judgment. I'm going to reserve judgment completely to see where things continue to go with him. But right. I don't, yeah, I don't want to see him. His, you know, relatable side and all this kind of terrible stuff that happened to him in the past and everything. He's, I don't know, less, um, he, he's more powerful as an enigma, I think. But, you know, maybe we'll get more of that from Beverly or Dr. Rudy or something like yep. that. So curious to see where that goes to. Um, so I think that's a pretty solid, solid rating for us. Uh, sorry we've gone. We went real long. long but we had a lot to talk about and we knew we would. There, 
There's a lot to talk about, and I think we it, it also provoked us to have some extra drinks. So that'll yeah, that's, extend that's the conversation bad, as well. So, oh, no, me too. So, uh, please, folks, check us out on Facebook. Check us out at This American Horror Story at Gmail. And as always, rate us, review us on iTunes. Uh, Chris, where can people find you between now and next Tuesday? On the Tweet Tweet and the Insty. <laughs> at Chris Usted, Chris with a K. What about you, Tyler? Check me out on Twitter at TJMoss11. All right, guys. Have a fantastic week. Keep mulling things over and sending us theories. And uh, until next Tuesday, happy hauntings. Happy hauntings.